Think meditation is hard? Do me a favor. Take a slow, deep breath in. And now breathe out. Congratulations. You just meditated. Hi, I'm Crystal Joukowsky, and this is Breathe In, Breathe Out, a weekly mindfulness and meditation podcast for anyone ready to own their own shit and find a little peace while doing it. Hello and welcome to Breathe In, Breathe Out. This week, I interview Zach Beach, who is an internationally renowned yoga teacher, best-selling author, poet, love coach, founder of the Heart Center Love School, and host of the Learn to Love podcast. Everything Zach does is dedicated to helping people lead happier, more loving, and more fulfilling lives. He walks this path of love by traveling the world and leading classes, workshops, retreats, and teacher trainings. He has summed up a lot of his teachings in the book, The Seven Lessons of Love, Heart Wisdom for Troubling Times. And he's also written three poetry collections, 108 Savasana poems, Drinking Roses on Sunday, and his latest one is Pebbles. Zach's writings have appeared on such websites as The Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, and Mind Body Green. While his poems have been seen in such publications as October Hill Magazine, The Oddville Press, and The Chill Filter Review, we have a really great conversation about yoga, how he got into yoga, meditation, poetry, and self-love. This is a great episode for you to listen to, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Breathe In, Breathe Out. I'm Crystal Joukowsky, your host, and welcome to Zach Beach. How are you today? I'm so well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. What's the weather like where you're at? Gorgeous. Great. Sunny. I want to be outside, but I also am enjoying being here with you. Yeah, I hear you. Absolutely. There's something about enjoying that sun and the sunshine. So we're going to have a fantastic conversation today and chit-chat about a lot of things that are dear to my heart, and yet they're also dear to you. And um, and then we'll both be able to enjoy the sunny outdoors. And you guys that are listening today, maybe you're lucky enough and you're curled up in the grass or you're on a hike or you're enjoying the outdoors that are there while you um, listen and check in with us. And that way we are enjoying the outdoors vicariously through you while we chit chat inside. That would be great. So... Uh, Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'd be happy to. In short, my life mission is to bring more love into the world. And I think of my work in the world as being on the level of the body, the heart, and the mind. On the level of the body, I teach yoga and love to get people to get in touch with their bodies, accept themselves, love themselves just as they are. On the level of the heart, I write poetry and do spoken word performances. And on the level of the mind, I write and coach. I'm also a love coach. And I've been on this path over a decade now, and it's been really wonderful. And I do think that love is the reason that we are here on this planet as human beings. And if you are looking for happiness or meaning or joy in your life, Look no further than love. Amen to that. Spreading it, feeling it for ourselves, and then giving it to others. What brought you to this path? Like, you've been on it for 10 years. You've been on it for a decade. But what what made you 
What enlightened you to this? What made you decide that this is where I need to be? This is what I need to do. This is where I need to go in my life. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting question because it didn't originally start out on a search for love. It started on a search for truth. Uh, the truth of reality, the truth of why we're here, the truth of what it means to be a human being. And what I found so very interesting when I started on this path is that no matter where I went, no matter who I talked to, whether it was a neuroscientist or a psychologist or a guru or a saint or a mystic, <laughs> they all had the very same message. If you talk to a psychologist, they'll tell you that it is not survival of the fittest. It is the survival of the most nurtured, that we as human beings are social beings, which is why our most popular websites are social networks. We all need to be seen, understood, recognized, supported. And this is from birth until death. It's not just our babies that need someone to feed them, shelter them, and be there for them. But our need for social connection is fundamental to our health and well-being for the rest of our lives. And this is in our neuroscience, our evolutionary psychology. We are wired to connect. And interestingly, you might go to a church and be told that we know God through love because God is love. Or you might talk to a non-dual teacher like Rupert Spira, and he says that our fundamental self, the fundamental nature of consciousness is one of love. And I'm sure many of your listeners also might enjoy the poetry of Rumi, this just divine ecstatic love that we discover through mystical awakening. And I wouldn't say I came to this begrudgingly, but I did kind of come into it tangentially as I was like on this search for truth. And no matter who I talked to, they're like, actually, connection belonging this is this is the path and you look at many spiritual practices religious traditions and they too are wrapped up in this fundamental idea that there is something greater something divine that is connected and tapped into a universal love and compassion so that's kind of like the global <laughs> the global uh idea of how I came to this path, but I'm a human being and I have my own path and my own unique circumstances that brought me to this. And really my uh, spiritual path has largely been focused on, on yoga. I do think of myself as being open. I love learning about Christian mysticism and all sorts of Southeast Asian and Indian traditions, but I did uh, have a back injury. And then my physical therapist was like, you should try yoga. And I was like, ha! <laughs> yoga i can breathe breathe and stretch by myself i don't need this sort of thing uh because i had an idea of what yoga was and um wasn't at all what it turned out to be and that continuous process of introspection calming the mind opening the heart has been uh, largely my path so what did you think yoga was beforehand? Like your, your, your idea was like, no, 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 that's just, uh, but what did you really think it was? Um, I thought it was a thing for thin white women to do that involved stretching. <laughs> you know, you have this idea. It's like green eggs and ham, you know, it's like you have this idea of something that you're not going to like, and then you try it out and you're like, Oh, actually, I do. I do like it. And it, it was largely a, a misconception 
Um, but what's also also interesting is, you know, some people say things like, oh, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. Right. And we say this, um, we say in yoga, well, that's like saying you're too dirty to take a bath. Like it's what you, you know, it's what you need. And, you know, when I started, I was stiff as stiff as a board. I couldn't touch my toes. I couldn't turn around. Uh, and so I hated it, obviously. <laughs> because it was hard you know a lot of people gravitate we gravitate towards things we're naturally good at right we kind of run away from things we aren't so my mind was all over the place i was stiff as a board i didn't want to do this thing that forced me to be with my own tedious thoughts (laughs) and and see how and then be in, in in pain as my hamstrings were screaming um but it's the it's that um the things that challenge us are the ones that bring us the most growth. And that's what I've learned is to really lean into that resistance and to see what is blocking you from finding joy and freedom in your body. Yeah. So I, I'm drilling into this because I want to know what was the one thing that made you finally go to that first yoga class? I mean, you didn't want to, the chiropractor said you should, you were really reluctant. What finally pushed you over the edge and said, okay, fine, I'll try it. I was just having this conversation with a friend that oftentimes those like really challenging, sometimes tragic moments in our life end up being extraordinary wake-up calls, right? And it was the this conversation was around another friend who he's in his 30s and he had had some heart palpitations right it's not a heart attack it's just like could be a heart attack (laughs) if you don't and he took this as a wake-up call he was like i have to quit you know he was a big vapor and he's like you know quit this do this do this so so too um for me that back injury um, i herniated a disc in my low lumbar it was the most painful experience in my life i ended up in the hospital and i was in my early 20s right and i was like this should not be happening i should not feel like an 80 old man who can't stand up without being in pain so I actually see that as an extraordinary wake-up call that I was going on a certain path. If I wasn't going to get injured, then it was going to happen at some other point in the future. And I required a deep introspection about what I what was I doing that was that was causing this this pain, this suffering in this life, and what can I do to get out of it? And what I always find is interesting, you know, when like with coaching people, for example, is that we all have an innate wisdom and we all know what's right for us, right? We all know how much sleep we should be getting. We all know what food is healthy. We all know stress is not good for us. But what is preventing us from doing what we know deep down to be the right thing? And that to me is where practice, where discipline comes into play. And also just having the tools to make a radical life shift that puts you on the path towards more happiness, joy, and love. And for me, that was yoga, but there's so many different paths. Yeah. So how many sessions did it take for you to fall in love with it? (laughs) You know, I would say it was like six months, which is usually what I tell my students. I was like, give it six months and you won't stop. And And it'll just be something you do. Yeah. 
because, you know, like many people, I came to yoga for the physical benefits because, again, I thought it mainly had to do with stretching, um, but stayed, of course, for the mental, emotional, psycho-spiritual benefits as I noticed how this one thing that I was doing once, twice, three times a week was overflowing in positive ways to the rest of my life, right? Like your boss berates you and then you don't flip out. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have this mindful, you start to cultivate this mindfulness that then changes your relationships, changes your perspective on life, and changes how you respond to certain situations and challenges in your life. Yeah. You're so much calmer and more at ease and able to let things just roll off instead of take it personally. <laughs> and yeah. And like for me and for many people, like, I, you know, I teach meditation now and I find people 20s, 30s, 40s and never once in their life have they ever closed their eyes and looked within. Never once did someone tell them to slow down and feel in, into their breath. And I was very much the same way. I was looking towards the, to the external world for fulfillment. And never once did somebody tell me to look inside. And that is the beginning of transformation. So what is your favorite way or place to meditate? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I do have sometimes do this workshop, like, you know, intro to meditation. And I go over what I call the four P's of meditation. We And the first one is place. Like it is really important to have a designated place rent is through the roof. It's not usually a room anymore. Usually it's just a little corner, but that's like your sacred space. So I do have a nice little altar space with some of my statues of deities or gurus or things that I enjoy and sacred texts and scriptures and some incense and some other, other sacred items. Um, and just to finish the piece uh, off the top of my head's place, practice, and one of my favorite ones is problems <laughs> because people think that like when you sit down in meditation, just be total peace and contentment. But that's not the case because we are, of course, encountering the causes and mental patterns that create suffering in our life. And the, the fourth P will come to me just, well, We'll continue. <laughs> I uh, I actually have a meditation labyrinth here on my property, and I love it because of the problem aspect of it. Because you stand at the entrance of that labyrinth and you ponder what problem, what issue are you facing right now? What question do you need answers and direction to? And then you just walk this labyrinth, and as you slowly, meditatively, like intentionally walk this labyrinth by the time that you get to the center you have this enlightenment and you have answers and a direction and you're like oh this is so much better but it's just because you took that time to stop and say i'm focusing for right now on this issue i'm going to peel everything else away and i'm just going to be mindful in this moment for this issue and see what happens. So I, I love that you add that P part of it in there because it absolutely is. It's not necessarily I want to forget everything. It's really a beautiful way to process through those issues, those problems that we all have. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, I remember the fourth P was just posture. So making sure you're in the right position, but you absolutely bring up a very important point that we can meditate in other ways. And walking meditation is such a powerful uh, practice. And one metaphor that I often give around what you're describing is that if you take a tablespoon of salt and you put it in a glass of water, you will end up with very salty water. You have a tablespoon of salt, you put it in a large lake, of course, the lake is unperturbed. So too, in our practice, we cultivate a level of spaciousness so that those general problems in our life don't affect us nearly as much. And then we can call upon a greater sense of wisdom in order to deal with whatever it is that we're working through. Yeah. A lot of my clients, they, they, they tell me, I don't have five minutes. I don't have an hour. I don't have 20 minutes. And I just tell them just being still for a moment or going for a walk for a moment. It's, it's the intention behind the activity that you're doing. You might want to meditate while you're sanding wood. You might want to meditate while you're chopping vegetables. The, the idea is tuning out the world and tuning into that moment that's right there so that you can be present in where you're at. Absolutely. You know, and there's, there's kind of two schools of thought because some people say like the degree to which you can't sit down for five minutes and meditate is the degree to which you need to sit down for five minutes and meditate. A lot of times people are like, I don't have time. And then they spend 45 minutes scrolling through their phone. And it's like, you can usually make time. Now, that being said, we are simply culti intentionally cultivating certain mental states on the meditation cushion in the labyrinth so that we can take those same mental states with us wherever we go. And you can have a driving meditation and a shopping in the grocery store meditation and a waiting in line meditation. And you can absolutely bring this level of spacious intentional awareness into all the areas of your life. Little by little, it's baby steps. <laughs> if you don't think you have five minutes, but then you find you have five minutes, then you have six minutes and then you have seven minutes and you find that you can expand that more and you move from, I can't to wait a minute, I can. And then you start realizing that it's a possibility and how much it actually benefits you to do that. And you crave that more because you recognize the benefits just like your yoga practice and, and pausing. It's it's a huge, beautiful thing that we're both teaching our, our clients. And I absolutely love meditation and just the peace that it brings us, whether it's meditation through yoga or other practices. And I think that's really fun. You have written, I'm jumping a little bit, guys, follow with me. Um, you have written three books of poetry. Can you tell me about how you came to poetry and what it means, what it does for you? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I really appreciate the opportunity. I already talked a little bit about how my path started with yoga. And a few very interesting transformations occurred when I started on this path. One of which is that I started to like chocolate. <laughs> and I say this because you don't taste chocolate, you feel chocolate. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And I previously thought chocolate was like, you know, like Twizzlers, Jolly Ranchers, chocolate. That's what you see in the store. That's not what chocolate is. Chocolate is an entire experience. And like most people, I was living from shoulders up, I was living in my head. I'm not in touch with my bodies, my intuition, my emotions, my feelings. 
And by coming into the body, of course, changed my entire experience. And suddenly, wow, chocolate, now my new favorite thing. <laughs> another, another transformation that started to occur is I started to write. I started to want to express myself. And that resulted in writing articles and another book. And poetry is another way I love to express myself. And I remember reflecting, like, why, why is this the case? Why do I suddenly have this creative urge flowing out of me? And the conclusion that I came to is essentially that life itself is a creative process. Four billion years ago, this rock that we call the Earth was barren. And during this time, eight million species have cropped up, an extraordinary diversity of life and colors and expressions and sounds. And not only that, but every day, every moment is new. Even the tree that you see outside your window is constantly reinventing itself, constantly changing, creating, transforming. And if we want that creative process within ourselves, all we have to do is align ourselves with the natural creative process of life. And I found that when I align myself, some call it like the Tao or the way, or just this basic idea that life is flowing through you and your task is to flow right along with it, to let go of resistances, all that holding on, like you're holding on to the edge of the banks of a river and the river wants to take you. You got to go. You got to go with it. You got to flow. And of course, as many ways human beings express themselves through dance, through art, like painting and different things. And I happen to just really resonate with words and the power of words. And the more I get into not only what the words mean and their etymology, but also their sounds. I really also enjoy mantra yoga and thinking about how the vibrational qualities of words often carry the meanings that you are trying to express. So that's how I kind of came into writing and expressing myself. And then when I came into the nature of love and the nature of the heart, I was like, okay, this is it. Poetry is it. Poetry is this expression of the heart. It is the language of love. And I really love the ecstatic mystical writings that you find of people on this earth who have also come to their own mystical awakening of their oneness with all things like Rumi, like Kabir, like Hafiz, but even Christian mystics like Thomas Merton. And so I have also carved out my own little, little piece in this. I'm, I'm not definitely not comparing my, if only I could be as eloquent as, you know, as some of these amazing, amazing writers. Um, but that's the interesting thing about something like mystical awakening is that most of these, uh, people that have experienced such a thing end up being poets. They are able to capture the, the, the ecstatic nature of the universe in their poetry, like, like Mirabai, for example. Um, and, I love this path and deeply resonate with it. Do you have a poem you like to share with us? <laughs> sure. Be, be happy to. Um, and I didn't have anything prepared, but it's really great because I, my newest poetry book is called Pebbles and I can get into what Pebbles means. But it's all 
just short, eloquent, quick poetry. So I know I can just open up to any page in the book and find something lovely, lovely to read without sounding too vain, of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a saying that poems never finish, they're only abandoned. That's what I found with writing is you're like, you've struggled looking at one comma for about two hours and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you. This poem is finished. I can't. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like this is relevant to some of the things that we've talked about. This is just opening up to a page, however. So this one goes, I have tried to direct my life in one way and to think of it in one line until the spring comes and I see Everything explode in every direction. Bird song, petals, and the light through morning dew. Suddenly, I don't feel so bad about forgetting the oven on or getting lost in a love as wild as the clouds. Wow. Is there a, that's just beautiful. And it makes me think of like just enjoying being on the patio in the spring and and taking in the amazingness that is life in that moment. Is there a story behind that poem? Um, well, you told the story actually. <laughs> I well, this this whole book is about the beauty and appreciation of nature. I think of it as like a walk through the woods with like your guru, guru as they point out incredible things. And, you know, earlier we talked about the power of meditation and how it does create an, an inner shift that is better able to appreciate all the small things around us, better able to extract happiness from the ocean of small beauties that I call it around us. And sometimes I do tell this story in my own classes along the lines of when one monk was asked why he meditates so much, why he gets up at 3.30 to walk to the temple and spend so much time in front of the altar, meditating, chanting, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Is he trying to attain enlightenment, satori? What's the point of it all? And he simply replied, I come to the temple every morning to meditate so that I can notice the flowers on the way to the temple each morning. And that's really one of the biggest transformations of yoga, meditation, or any uh, contemplative practice is we realize that what we pay attention to matters. And when we do pay attention to certain things, it transforms our world. And we can cultivate a mindful, loving awareness with this world around us and appreciate um, the natural harmony of this beautiful world that we are a part of and not separate from. So you're living from the heart. <laughs> I tr I'm trying my best to live fully in line with my truth and to live from the heart. And I was just I was talking to a friend because sometimes this gets me in trouble because um, I sound a little vain, you know, but other times, you know, I might be having an argument with my partner and then she's like, you know, you're for the love for being the love guy. What you said doesn't sound very loving. And this <laughs> turns it back on me and it's like, I'm human. 
trying my best, just as you are trying your best, just as your listeners are trying our best. Because I do believe in a fundamental goodness in all people. We're all trying our best to be happy, to not be in pain or to suffer in this extraordinary human life. <laughs> yeah. My husband and I have a similar conversation on occasion. Um, but it's uh he he jokes around and says that it's the student has become the master. Uh when when the other person says, you know, you used to say this, but now you're doing that. So let's chit chat about <laughs> where <laughs> where does that come from and what should we talk about now and how should we correct that? And it's like it takes you back for a second. It says, Oh, yeah, maybe I should recenter. <laughs> maybe I should check in and see why I had that that um, reaction to what was going on. I love I love that she calls you out. I'm going to call it calling you out. Dude, so that's the, this is, the funny thing about it is I'm firmly, again, I firmly believe in love, right? And I also believe that an intimate relationship is the absolute best container for healing and growth. And relationships are incredible mirrors. They reflect back, back exactly <laughs> where we need to grow the most. Hopefully in a healthy relationship, you have that person that is supporting you in your growth. And to me, it is so important for someone to call us out on our own crap, I'll say. And I mean that in both a positive and a negative way. For example, if I go in front of the mirror and I'm like, oh, I'm so ugly. And somebody walks into the room and says, ugly, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then I'm like, really? Am I? And that, because we can all, they can also interrupt our own negative thinking in the same way. Right. And one time I was like, you know, we have all these thoughts in our head. And one time I had this like negative thought and I expressed it. And my partner was like, that's kind of a mean thing to think. And I was like, it is actually. And I'm not going to think that anymore. Like, <laughs> that's one of the ways we support each other is by calling our stuff out, uh, interrupting negative thinking and replacing it and cultivating more positive thinking. Yeah, I think our relationships are meant to help us grow. And it's those calling each other out. It's those little loving nudges and moments to say, you know what, let's take a pause and stretch a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable in the moment. And yet the growth that can come from that and the benefit that comes from us being able to be strong enough is huge. It takes a really deep, trusting relationship to be able to do that. It takes two people who are equally strong, if you know what I mean. Like, it's better, in my opinion, it's better to have equally yoked partnerships um, so that one's not always bowing down to the other one and they're able to say, you know, I, 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 I value myself more than that so they can stand up for themselves, but they can also help you stretch and grow and be out of our comfort zones a little bit more so that we can be even better human beings. Every relationship we're in, whether you're in it for two weeks, a year, multiple years, you are not the same person you were when you first started that relationship because so many other experiences have happened in that two weeks that you've reacted to and changed. So, Taking that moment and allowing yourself to say, yeah, we're all human. And just like that tree outside that is constantly recreating itself, 
we are too. So the way I reacted to something a year ago in my relationship may be completely different than the way I react today. And you might not like the way I react today. <laughs> and yet I may think that today is better than it was a year ago. And it's just another opportunity for more conversation and more connection and more living from the heart and saying, where are you at? And where am I at? And how do we find that balance together? Absolutely. You bring up so many important points and you, your thought process is very much the same because first you were like, relationships are meant for growth. And in my head, I was like, the primary thing is safety. And then you were like, but you can't get there until <laughs> you have that foundation. And I was like, absolutely true because life can be challenging, right? You could leave for work, hit traffic, go to work, get berated, like go to the store, find somebody yelling at another person, like stress, 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 stress. And you come home and you ever just come home and just melt into your partner's arms. <laughs> like <laughs> you pretended that you're okay throughout your entire day. And then you come home and then you have someone that you can tell I'm not okay. And that to me is like most fundamental is that our relationships and this particularly is true in family life are the primary function is a place of safety and security. And from that, absolutely, that is where the growth can arise. And you also bring up what I was mentioning earlier that every day is new. I'm not going to be the same person after finishing this conversation. And <laughs> because I've learned a little bit, I've had a little bit of my own stuff called out and, uh, and learning and growing through here. So, you know, successful, successful partnerships are those that welcome that opening, welcome that change, welcome that growth while supporting and loving each other through it. Yeah. So for you, where does self-love come into that? <laughs> um, you giggle. <laughs> well, so many ways I could go take this. What I'll begin with is by saying, I think that our task is to love everyone and ourselves. People often forget that you are included in that everyone. I do think our human task is to widen our circle of compassion and love to more and more peoples in the world. And that we are also in that category of people. And I don't believe in the common cliche that you can't love somebody if you don't love yourself. Or even saw one of those like Instagram wisdom things. And it was like, no one's going to love you if you don't love yourself. <laughs> it's like, wow, that is harsh. <laughs> because often we learn to love ourselves via how somebody else loved us, ideally in a perfect world. And it's not a perfect world, but ideally our parents loved us. And that showed us how self-love and how loving oneself is supposed to look like. But if we didn't get that, hopefully we have, we find a loving partner who shows us that we are worthy and deserving of love. That being said, uh, the research shows and the science shows that those who do have healthy sense of self-esteem, 
healthy self-love do end up being in higher quality and happier relationships. So it's like, you know, the salt, like in your broth, right? (laughs) It helps bring, bring flavor and accentuate the qualities of, of the soup to continue this metaphor. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but a huge one is that when you have a high level of self-love and self-esteem, it stems from realizing that you are worthy of love, joy, and happiness, and that you will expect that and ask for it in your relationships. And people with low self-esteem tend to be treated poorly and almost subconsciously like think that they deserve it. I don't want to like, I'm not like victim blaming anyone, but they tend to put up with more negative uh negative behavior like if i have low self-esteem and you're like you're kind of a jerk i'll be like yeah it's true like rather if i have high self-esteem and you can call me a jerk i'm not gonna take it personally as much and i'll be like i don't um tolerate this behavior in my relationships if you're gonna continue to name call me then this relationship isn't going to work out right so something like setting healthy boundaries um is a really important part of self-love Lots of things were just popping up in there, but you brought it back again to like that mirror of reality in our relationships with others is also our relationship with ourselves and how we can learn from that and how we can learn like, oh, they're treating me really well and maybe I do deserve that and it can help heal us and change it. And yet the other is also true of saying like, projecting that out I deserve respect and love and kindness and so it's very much a two-way mirror that really helps people benefit and I think that if we look at our relationships that there are some relationships that we have where we for some reason do take more crap from that person than we would take from another person and that all of our all of our relationships we need to find that balance and learn how to set the boundaries and learn how to say this is me all the time not just with you and you because we often put on those masks to try to morph a little bit to be more accepted by some people maybe it's at work um, or in certain social circles where you want to be attracted or want to be welcomed by people and so finding that own your own inner truth and being able to cling to the I am worthy of love and happiness and joy in life and I don't want to settle for anything less because I'm worth that and since I'm worth that you're worth that too so I'm just going to mirror that to you and if it doesn't work out then that's okay maybe we either need to have a conversation and set some boundaries or I can take that relationship that's not so healthy and just kind of put it on the sidelines and not have it be a central part of my life absolutely i do sometimes say that love and the love we have and our capacity for love is unlimited it's infinite that being said we are in finite bodies our time and where we can be physically (laughs) is is quite limited and Yes, there are many relationships either we have to be in or we need to be in with our family or with our work. And that is where boundaries can play a very important role. And you can say, I love you. You're a fundamentally good person, but I 
do not wish to be treated in this way. So you can create, you know, I'm only going to see you on Christmas, right? Once, you know, once a year or something like that. Um, and absolutely, we do have to put on certain faces for things like work and other things. Yeah. We've kind of been all over the place. I love how we just kind of moved from yoga and your background to meditation and then poetry and, and now in relationships. You really have a wealth of knowledge. And so it's been you know, it's delightful to chit chat with you and be able to flow through so many different things. I want to jump back to you said that there is a meaning behind the title of Pebbles. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm like, wait, is there anything that we're, yes, we've got to circle back to that. So tell me about that. Tell me about the title of your book. Well, first, I'll just say, because you were like, oh, we've been all over the place. And that is what I've found about the nature of love is it covers everything it's interdisciplinary as you might say in academia right it covers every aspect every aspect of our life from our relationship to ourself to our relationship to others to the world and to god or spirit or whatever you might word you whatever whatever word you resonate with um and coming back to kind of <laughs> the power of words um, and almost the vibrational qualities that they carry. Um, I remember reading in one of Mary Oliver's book, one of my favorite poets, and your, many of your listeners are probably familiar with. It was actually a book on writing poetry. And she was saying how there's a huge difference between a rock and a stone and although these might be synonyms in the dictionary, if you listen to how they sound, it tells you what it is. So a rock, very hard, sharp, jagged. Maybe you could, you know, carve it into an arrowhead or something or a spear. But a stone, it's smooth. Even like the O, like your mouth makes this O, like this round sound. And of course, it's something you might find in a river, kind of smoothed over by water. And I always like to think about, oh, what is this word? Like trying to say, what is it? What does, does it get across? And so this idea of pebbles is meant to engender a lot of things. One, that of a Zen garden, which is often very empty or what I call abundant in simplicity. It's also meant to engender a calm river where you can, where it's quite clear and you can see the pebbles at the base of the river. But also just going back to how words sound, even this word pebbles is almost like rocks are coming like pebbles are coming out of your mouth as you say it you know like blah, 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 blah. and it even has these two lowercase b's to it which is also just like these little pebbles are like in the word itself and that to me is what it, what it's all about is about appreciating the small things in life looking for the what i call the gems in your life for the ocean of small beauties that around all of us having gratitude and appreciation for the tiny things in our life of course pebbles is meant to conjure the earth and our connection to the mother earth mother gaia pachamama and all of those things is just wrapped up in this one little word 
And I often tell people, if you want to find the meaning of being human in life, you have to look at a more metaphorical description of the world, a more metaphorical reality. You're not going to find the meaning of life in a dictionary and literal definitions. We live beyond beyond that. And I believe everyone's a poet and we often use metaphors without even realizing it. You say, oh, she gave me the cold shoulder. I had a rough day and it takes a texture of roughness and applies it to your day. Metaphors is a common, uh, is just used in common parlance and even children understand metaphors. You don't even have to explain it to them. And this to me matches the real embodied experience of being human. I absolutely love it. I love listening to you talk about it. And it conjures up so many things I could go on, like down a rabbit hole forever with you, because I feel the same way. I feel like emotions, we have a vast, I just innumerable amounts of emotions that we experience. And it can be on a daily, hourly, minute by minute, annually, whatever it is. But there are so many words to describe the emotions that we're feeling. And so one versus another and how they can really better um, illustrate what's really going on for ourselves. Words are so beautiful. And I love that you have found this little niche in expressing yourself, using those words and putting them together and being able to just bring that beauty out for other people to enjoy as well. So, and, and I love the imagery behind Pebbles and the name of the book. I think it's just beautifully done. Absolutely beautifully done. You have the two other books as well. Yeah. Can I speak to what you just mentioned though? Because I absolutely, especially in communication and relationships, it's so important to being a, be able to identify one's feelings, to name it, to tame it, to express your feelings in order to get, to get in touch with your needs, which often and almost always uh, underlie whatever it is that you are feeling. But um Words will never fully encapsulate the human experience. And what I often love to do sometimes in poetry workshops is to really ask somebody what their emotion truly feels like. Like we call them feelings because we feel them, right? And you will immediately go into a metaphorical reality, which to me more accurately describes the human experience. For example, like, something tragic happened in your life. What did it feel like? Did your world shatter like glass? Or did it feel like there was a bowling ball in your stomach, right? Did you implode into a, like, you know, did you become so small and insignificant? Or did you just, you know, like get torn apart? These are all metaphors to describe how we actually experience reality as human beings. So I'll make that point. And then what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I was um, asking you to share us just a little bit, share with us just a little bit more about your other two books. Oh, yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, I love poetry and I would often read it during my workshops, during my classes, and particularly during that special moment in yoga class 
we call shavasana, shava meaning corpse and asana meaning pose. So that final end of class where you just lie down and melt into the blissful nature of your being. And I would often read different poems during this time and search for great poems to read during this time. And after a number of years of teaching, I was like, hey, I want my own words to describe this experience. So I started writing my own Shavasana poems and beta testing them in my own class. And after writing many of them, I compiled them all into a book that's known as 108 Shavasana poems. So if you know 108 is a very sacred number, both mathematically and spiritually, and this book has been really awesome because people will reach out uh, and they're like, oh, I read this poem in meditation or I heard this poem in my yoga class and I want to thank you for it. And uh, and it's funny because you were asking me like, what does pebbles mean? And I gave you this long <laughs> answer to this one word. And just a few days ago, somebody like e emailed me out of the blue and it was like, hey, what does this line mean in your poem? I was like, oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and then I gave them this like long, lengthy answer. And uh, <laughs> just you just love words. <laughs> words, it's true. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and your other one is is it tea with roses? Uh, drink tea with that's a, that would be lovely. I should make it called. I should write a poem called Tea and Roses. Um, I've just been so into tea lately and tea ceremonies. Um, but yeah, my first poetry book was called Drinking Roses on Sunday, and that was my poetic way of saying that love is my religion. Roses symbolizing love, and people usually go to church on Sundays, which is why it's on Sunday. And drinking is just like just taking all all the love in. That's what it's about. See, I love it. I absolutely love the imagery and the joy. And um, I hope you guys look into his books and check it out because he's obviously got a lot of love in his heart, and he really wants to expand and just put that love out in the world. So um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I'll share this interesting thing that has been on my mind lately because I will do these things called yoga teacher trainings, which will certify people to become yoga teachers. And what's happened on multiple occasions is we'll have them practice, teach like a very short se sequence and then we'll teach it. And then I'll say, Great job, everyone. And I'll start to move on. And somebody will raise their hand and say, can we have some constructive criticism? And I'm, I'm always like, hmm, how, should I be, how should I respond to this? Because we all have this deep idea that's been ingrained in us through our education system that a an important process of our learning is for us to do some, something and for somebody to tell us exactly what we are doing wrong. For us to hand in the paper and to get it back and to have all the X, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And I think this is one of the biggest obstacles we have towards loving ourselves is we think there's something wrong with us. And 
this is what I say in my head <laughs> when someone asks for constructive criticism. And this is what I'll say to your listeners, which is that if you look outside and you look at a tree, is there anything wrong with that tree? At night, when you look up at the stars, is there any star that is out of place? Is there anything that could be improved about the sunset? What makes you think there is anything wrong with you? You are perfect just the way you are. You are worthy of all the love that your heart can hold. There is nothing you need to do, improve, or change about yourself to be worthy and deserving of love and belonging. So whatever you do, love yourself. Forgive yourself for being less than perfect. Accept yourself just as you are in all that you are. You are just as much an extraordinary phenomena as the stars, as the rippling of water in a stream in this beautiful world that we live in. And there's nothing, I said it before, but I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong with who you are. You are fundamentally good, divine, loving nature. Mm. You guys heard it here. <laughs> that is so beautiful and so kind and so spot on. Beautiful. Thank you. How do people find you? So my name is Zach Beach. You can find me at zachbeach.com and on social media at zachbeach.love. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's absolutely been a delight to have you on and be able to connect today. So thank you very much for being here. And uh, until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. I hope this moment of self-care and healing brought you some hope and peace. I'm Crystal Dukowski on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and I hope you check us out and follow along for more content coming soon. I look forward to being with you again here on Breathe In, Breathe Out. Until next time, take care. <laughs>